five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Some people think I try too many things. I need more constraints. Uh, that might be uh, where we're ending up today. But before we do, let's get over here to the real news. And this is um, this is an ad that was filmed completely in the dark. Okay, and it's from Adland, which gives us always gives us a flavor for what's going on in other places around the world, right? So uh, this is this is going to be. We can't move it over, so we'll just play it. So the sun is setting. That looks kind of like Stonehenge, but I think it must be a different place. We'll turn down the music a little bit. And uh, a lot of music, a lot of sound. Okay, so there goes this. There's this little fairy that dances around all over the place and lights up the scenes to some extent. But it's very mysterious. And it goes on like this for six and a half minutes, which I'm sure you really want to see. I'll take a sip of coffee. Thanks for the hearts, whoever's doing it. Scotland at night. I think this has more to do with, you know, let's give an award to the ad agency. But the trouble is, is that in the dark, and here comes the, the one that really illustrates this the best. There's waves on the, on the shore on the sand how is that any more scotland than it is you know naples florida or somewhere else some village on the on the shore so anyway that's enough of that uh what if a country was so beautiful that it was just as memorizing when you mesmerizing when you can't see it it isn't <laughs> so anyway but it was different really really different and that's why i i showed it to you but let's get to the real news Let's get over to the PDFs. Okay, did Coca-Cola create Santa Claus? Okay, this is a 1931 ad, and Santa Coca-Cola didn't invent Santa, but the modern image we know started from a 1931 ad. Okay, heavy set guy, uh, red nose, white beard. There were a lot of there were a lot of different images of Santa. There's even an FAQ page. Uh, on Coca-Cola's official website. Uh, in 1931, Haddon Sundblom designed this ad. And uh, up until then, there were many depictions of Santa Claus around the world, including a tall, gaunt man and an elf. But Coca-Cola wanted a wholesome, relatable fellow. Okay, delicious and refreshing. Santa drinks Coke. And uh, the artist drew inspiration from the 1822 poem. So that's 100 years before that, right? And it's almost the 200th anniversary of that, uh, of that classic, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Um, and so that kind of defined it. And um, Coca-Cola is now valued at $220 billion. So it's worked out pretty well for them. Sunbloom made $1,000 equivalent to 20,000 today but um, I think he did okay too so I wanted to read the section describing coca describing Santa his eyes how they twinkled his dimples how merry his cheeks were like roses his nose like a cherry his little his droll 
little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and his beard and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke had encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. Some people say I look like Santa Claus. Oops, I was gonna not be the talking head today. I got my beautiful sapphire turtleneck on from Land's End, and um. But I noticed that they, you know, where they, whereas they moved to Coke, they removed the pipe and the smoke. And uh, I, of course, do smoke a pipe. Maybe I got that from the classic tale. Thank you for the hearts over there. Okay, November turns in the best ad month of the year, fourth consecutive spending gain. So, you know, here's April down 35%, Great Depression kind of numbers. But then it came roaring back, as some predicted, myself included. And then it went kind of flat year over year. But the 11, month 11 was up 11.5% over 2019, which is pretty amazing. Okay, so it's And that's after the election, post-election. So it's not the election. And so, um, woohoo, that's good, right? Now I want to cover something really interesting. We were I was recording for one of my daughters who's got the granddaughter who, you know, gave me a granddaughter. She only has a daughter. But I have a granddaughter. Isn't that funny how that works? That's the same person. It actually is. Uh I was recording the cat in the hat, which is a kind of a naughty poem. And uh and I remembered in the back of my head some story about constraints. And I was telling my other daughter about the story, and so we looked it up. And here is, the, here is a, a really excellent article from a year ago. The Power of Constraints, How Dr. Seuss Used Only 50 Words to Write His Best-Selling Book of All Time. Okay, and shortly after the success of Cat in the Hat, uh, which only had a 225-word vocabulary, Dr. Seuss, Theodore Seuss Geisel, also known as Dr. Seuss, took an, on an even greater challenge. In 1960, Bennett Cerf, founder of the book publisher Random House, bet Seuss 50 bucks that he couldn't write another successful children's book using only 50 words. Dr. Seuss retreated to his studio and worked a full year, counting and recounting words over and over again. How's that for constraint? Write a book with only 50 words. A successful book yet. If it didn't, wasn't successful, if nobody liked it, it was not going to get the 50 bucks. Well, much less whatever else it would generate. He generated 62 pages with 49 one-syllable words, and the 50th was anywhere. I got, I got to go get that book and see where that lies. I think that might be the last word in the book. Green Eggs and Ham has sold has sold 8 million copies and is the fourth best-selling children's hardcover book of all time. I bet he made more than 50 bucks. Isn't that something? So then the article goes on. Here's Green Eggs and Ham. Creativity dies from freedom and thrives in constraint. It's so interesting, isn't it? Thrives in constraints. Because we all fight against the constraints. 
If I only had money, I could get, I could get, it is. Okay, Kate says that is the last word in the book. He, he didn't even need 50. He could have done it with 49. Okay, so Leonardo da Vinci said, art lives from constraints and dies from freedom. Is that interesting or what? Because we all fight constraint. We all say, if I had the money, I could, I could get this venture, you know, this this new venture off the ground. Or if I had a, uh, if I had gone to law school, I could write this patent. Or if if I would have had some lessons, I could be a ski racer. <laughs> or if I would have taken a marketing course, I could be a marketing consultant. <laughs> I'm only using these examples because I never took a marketing course and became a marketing consultant, never took a ski lesson and became a ski instructor and racer <laughs> and other things, right? And uh, and have started many companies without any venture money whatsoever. Uh, might have done better if I had some, but we were very creative. We've always been very, very creative here and, you know, pioneered predictive modeling uh, with no training in statistics or math, really, or anything. Never took a math course in college either. Okay, so two re researchers conducted six experiments on the relationship of the availability of resources and creativity. That's not strictly true. What they did was they 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 set the context. They got they did, randomly selected two teams of players. And they, so that was good, random. And then after that, they they randomly selected those teams, and they had one team write about scarcity and not having enough resources growing up, or the scarcity of resources. They had the other group write short essays, three minutes, just a little bit of a thing, on abundance of resources. I always have more resources. And then they asked them to come up with ideas on how to use 250 sheets of bubble wrap, which I think is a funny, I've got, I'm going on that one, you know. I think, I think maybe uh, that would be enough bubble wrap to do like the percussion side of the Star Spangled Banner. I just came up with that. Can you believe it? <laughs> you come up with one. I got to thinking about the uh, Black Rifle Coffee Star Spangled Banner and the bubble wrap connected with that. I don't know. Afterward, 20 judges. So this isn't really quantified, but it's qualified. It's, it's you know, this is not quantified physics here. 20 judges were, at, were hired to assess the novelty of each suggested idea. The participants in the scarcity group generated significantly more creative ideas than those in the abundance group. Now, you'd really want to repeat this a few times because you could have just had somebody like me in the scarcity group who would have come up with just as many crazy things in the abundance group. All you need is a couple of people like me, and you're going to run into... Uh, you're going to run into a false correlation. So, strictly speaking, this is just an interesting article that I really like. The fact, in fact, the scarcity group reported significantly lower functional fixedness. Okay, now what that is, is 
looking only at bubble wrap as bubble wrap. Okay, a type of cognitive bias that limits our use of an object to the way it's traditionally used. Okay, so like if you think of putting bubble wrap as an alternative to tires on your automobile, that's not a traditional use of bubble wrap. Okay, right? Or you could think of it as a good night pillow. That's not a traditional use. If you think about keeping your your aunt's Yadro statue safe when it ships across country to your cousin, that would be traditional use of bubble wrap. The closer you are to that, the more the more functional fixedness you have. So the abundance group was stuck on how bubble wrap is intended, <laughs> what it was intended for, not as a percussion instrument, though that is my favorite way of using it. The, scarce, the researchers concluded, that's a good word because really it's up, they, they were looking for this answer, I think, from the series of experiments, and we're going to use that term only in quotes, the scarcity of resources drives creativity and innovation, whilst, I always like when people throw whilst in, an abundance of resources hinders it. I'm not entirely sure that's true. But I like to think of the Apollo 13 movie where they have no CO2 filter and they don't they 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 put the wrong spare filters on the on the in the capsule or something or it broke and they had a bunch of junk and they throw it on the table for the engineers and say this is what we've got make it work which they did they figured out how to duct tape it together and filtered the air in the cabin and the guys made it home alive. They would have made it home probably anyway, but they made it home. Well, they might not have because they had some other issues with the the power, took out the guidance systems and some other stuff. Okay, the more constraints, I highly recommend the Apollo 13 movie if you have if you enjoy this article. The more constraints there are around solving a problem, the more likely we are to innovate new unconventional ideas to solve it. Or you're just crazy and you like unconventional ideas. Some have accused me of that. I can't imagine. On the flip side, the less constraints around a problem, the more likely we are to take the path of least resistance. And this is maybe the key here. The path of least resistance and solve the problem. Now, that's not all bad. If you have a flat tire and you can get a new tire, that's a great solution. Don't dink around with all kinds of other ideas like bubble wrap that you got in the trunk. Don't try to duct tape that around into making a tire. It won't go well on the freeway. It might keep the rims protected, but it won't work as a tire, right? Get a tire. So there's a time and a place for both, I have to say. And I know many, many friends who are less crazy than I often say, why didn't you just go get the new tire? And I'll say, well, did you know you can repair tires? My my style consultant had a flat tire a couple weeks ago, and she went, she was by a gas station, and the guy pushed one of those fuzzy rubber things in it. Worked fine. I picked, I fixed a couple of tires, you know, nail hole type, type tires like that. Works great. That stuff's a miracle. Okay, the more constraints one imposes, the more one frees oneself, and the arbitrariness of the constraint serves only to obtain precision of execution. Igor Stravinsky, right? 
Ah, great conductor. We often attempt to escape the constraints around us. This is a, another important part. We attempt to escape the constraints around us, try to think outside the box and procrastinate on taking action, but we fail to see is that the most creative solutions to our problems can only emerge within these constraints. So they're arguing that you need to think inside the box. Thinking inside the box can lead to ingenious ideas and extraordinary successes. I doubt there's a really strong correlation between between the innovativeness and the success. Most successes are not the guy who invented it. Most successes come from the guy who looked at it and said, you know, with a couple of million bucks, this could be a really great product, and marketed it. So contrary to public opinion, creativity isn't an inborn trait. It's simply a response to an environment with limited resources. <coughs> Excuse me. Talking too much. Necessity really is the mother of invention. I want to leave you with that for this year because this coming year is going to be great. I think it's going to kick off with a bang. And I'll see you later. Like and share. Your friends will know you are smart. Have a great day.